You're listening to My Unlived Life, a podcast about the path not taken. I'm Miriam Robinson. A few years ago, my life fell apart in pretty dramatic fashion, and I found myself feeling that somewhere I'd made a wrong turn. I suddenly felt very far from home and family, and felt even farther from myself. I began to wonder, what if I had done things differently? We don't like to ask this question. It threatens to trap us in the past, without a map back to the here and now. So I decided to make the map. Each episode, I interview someone about another course their lives could have taken. We begin at the point where their paths diverged, and together, step by step, we imagine ourselves into the lives they never lived. Because these lives have a lot to teach us about ourselves, if we let them. This week, I spoke to author and illustrator Edward Carey. Edward is the author of the novels Observatory Mansions and Alva and Irva, the twins who saved a city, and of the YA Ironmonger trilogy, which have all been translated into many different languages and all of which he illustrated. His novel, Little, which took him a ridiculous 15 years to finish, has been published in 20 countries, and his novel The Swallowed Man is set inside the belly of an enormous sea beast. His most recent book, B, A Year in Plagues and Pencils, is a collection of drawings created over the first year of lockdown and is truly an outward-looking tribute to creativity and connection in a time of isolation. Edward has lived in England, France, Romania, Lithuania, Germany, Ireland, Denmark, and the United States, and currently lives in Austin, Texas. When Edward and I spoke, we discussed what his life might have looked like if he'd never been selected for a certain large book retailer's prize in America, and thus never flown to New York, and never met his wife, the novelist Elizabeth McCracken. Along the way, we discussed the lives of objects, the original and much darker version of Pinocchio, and at least one way to get yourself out of a creative fallow period. Hi, Edward. Hello. I'm very pleased that you're joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me, Miriam. It's marvelous to see you. I was thinking I'm I'm obviously I'm I'm pleased to be chatting with you no matter what because we've already had one little sort of delightful pre-conversation which was great. Um but also I was thinking that I'm feeling quite grateful to you and your most recent book uh be a year in plagues and pencils. Um and that was because you've brought together this collection of drawings that you did, one drawing a day over the course of the first year of the pandemic that you then put out on Twitter daily. Um, and you've sort of interspersed that with sort of recollections and reflections um, and anecdotes throughout. And I'm just, as we, well, I was going to say as we um, near the end of the pandemic, although it doesn't seem that we're nearing the end of it at the moment, but as we get to a place where perhaps we could kind of start to look back and where I'm certain that we're going to start to see lots of books set in the pandemic. I imagine some of which will be quite um, triggering and upsetting. This just, your book just feels like quite a gentle way to start to look back. Reading through it, it just felt like the first time I kind of stopped and looked at that period of time as a whole and thought about the way that we all were. And it was just a really nice way to do it. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, I drew so many of those drawings as a sort of escape. 
and also as a as a way to to travel because we were all stuck in our own homes and so it was it was a way of seeing other things but um but then the 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 politics and things inevitably uh took over as america um bled yeah yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, sometimes I would just draw different, you know, different animals or, you know, people that that I admired. Um, but yes, then then there came the just appalling police brutality in in America and 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 every you know nasty bit of uh, Trump's uh, tenure. You you know, you could not address it. It was it was impossible, you know, one way or another. And you just, uh, but you know, but so many of the drawings were 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 you know just were just fun. And then people, someone would write to me from from somewhere, any you know, in Japan or wherever, and say, "Could you draw me a pangolin or a capybara or <laughs> or a puffin or something like that?" And it was you know it was yes yes. And I was drawing things I'd never drawn in my life before. And people said thank you, but I I was really saying thank you to them because. Because it, it it was it was a, it really it certainly helped me get through that difficult time. I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one with that feeling of gratitude um, towards you and towards them for offering those. I love the the pangolin. Pangolin's amazing. Um, well, and you you mention um, politics in we were just discussing. You mentioned politics briefly um, or politicians in um, something you tweeted uh, a couple of days ago, actually. And I, I found it noteworthy because of what we're going to talk about today. So I was wondering if I could read it and if you could just say a little bit about why you posted it, sure. uh, which is, hello, today I am 52. Happy birthday, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Texas, but was born in UK. I have lived in Texas for 12 years. It's been grand, but I'm ready to return home. I despise Boris Johnson, and I despise Greg Abbott, governor of Texas. Most of all, I want home. Can you say what you were thinking about when you tweeted that? I was just, you know, thinking we've been here. I, I live with uh, with my wife and two kids. We've been here for 12 years, and, you know, it's enough. It has been great. I love my students. I teach at the University of Texas at Austin. Austin is a cool city, but it is, it's losing its coolness as it becomes more and more expensive. Um, mm. it's, um, it's now the hub for many enormous industries um, and it's become a, it's a victim of its own success, alas. Um, but it has many great things, but I'm just, you know, I look out at the, 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 the Texas landscape and, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting landscape, but it means nothing to me and it never, and it, and it never will, you know, I can appreciate it, but um, I, uh, I'm, 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 I'm English and, um, and, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to return home. You know, the, the, one of the, one of the problems of being in Texas, um, sometimes these are just Texas problems. Sometimes they're entirely American problems. Is the is is the the laws um, against uh, well women, shall we say, and their bodies are just absolutely appalling. And also, the attacking um, trans kids just makes me I, so so furious they, and and the way they uh, try to suppress um the 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 black vote um 
I mean, it's actually got to a point where politically it's just so vile. But um, but it's also it's also the gun laws in America that are never that are never going to change, and they're so depressing. And I think going through the pandemic in Texas, I think one's patience was running out of the place. You know, there's so yeah. many wonderful people here, wonderful things. You know, very dear friends here. But the politics just kills you. But it could all change. It could be. It could be a splendid, splendid place. But um, those Republicans aren't going away. I'm afraid. I've been over here for what, 13 years. I think you've been there for 12 years or so. So we we swapped places. So well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to get us to start talking um, about your path. But I think it would be useful. Um, and I'd love to just hear a little bit more about it. If you could just say quickly, because obviously you are British and you grew up in the UK. If you could just say just a brief bit about your upbringing before we get started on your path. Yeah, so I was I was born in in Norfolk, um, and uh, and and still love love my um, home county very much indeed. Um, uh, Norwich is a, a city I'm very fond of, and it's and it's the subject of a, a novel I'm just finishing now. Um, I was very lucky uh, in the in my childhood um my our, my childhood home was um a, an old tudor house uh, that was a tiny crumb of the divorce settlement between henry the 8th and anne of cleves no. and and it was it was a house that, that 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 i think taught me everything i i i have all these um old old houses in um in uh, in my in my books, and I know it's it, it's uh, it's a longing for for the, for that building. And um, in the summers, we used to sleep in the in the attic. Um, my brother and I, one of my brothers and I, and 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 you would go up the stairs um, at, at night, and you, you they would the stairs would creak like all good old staircases, but they would creak back afterwards in the right order. So you always <laughs> believe that there was there was someone coming up the stairs. Um, and it made me, you know, sort of desperately kind of think about history all the time. Uh, it was a, a convalescence hospital in World War One, And so the whole of it was just filled with... Um, with with soldiers coming back from 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 the trenches, there was a certificate in the in in the just by the kitchen that that uh, which was signed by Churchill, thanking the house for being of service during World War One. Thanking the house. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so one of the things that actually I write about in 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 so much of my um in so much of my fiction is that the 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 lives of objects and that that they have feelings and and thoughts and uh and one of my favorite things to do is go mudlarking and pick up bits of of history uh on the Thames for sure um in London anyway I was sent off to boarding school at the age of 7 um in, in Norfolk um from 7 to um 13 and then from 13 to 18 I was at a naval uh, boarding school in um, Berkshire and I was supposed to go into the navy my father had been in the navy and grandfather and going back all you know navy 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 um uh, but this was not for me and uh, I, <laughs> I called my father off after I've been there um a couple of weeks and um 
and said, I, actually, I don't think, um, do you mind? I'd rather not go into the Navy. And there was a bit of silence on the other end of the line. And then he said, well, that, that's fine. That's fine, Tommy, which is what my parents call me. Um, oh, uh, that's what? Absolutely- Why? Why do they well, call you Tommy? Because, because when I was a child, I was so orbicular, they called me Tummy. Uh, and then they <laughs> oh. thought I might, I might get a, uh, a complex about it, so they changed it to Tommy. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I stayed at the naval school. It was... Um, it was uh, it taught me to be to turn up on time to things uh, and uh, I didn't particularly enjoy spit and polishing my shoes. I was a very bad marcher. It was a uh, it was great experience, uh, um, I guess. Um, some of it was fantastic. I had a wonderful English teacher and a wonderful art teacher. And that was all I needed in life. That's all we all ever need. If we can find one great teacher, I think we're all set. I think that's true. And uh, and then I went to the National Youth Theatre, which was an amazing experience. You you put on plays in London in professional spaces. It was just it was just an amazing experience. I went off to university uh, to the 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 University of Hull, uh, which has a fantastic drama department. And um, I wrote my first full length play there. It was a fantastic time. I put plays on all the time. I, I played. Hamlet, uh, and uh, one person likened my Hamlet to Mickey Rooney, so you can gather how good my Hamlet was. That's constructive um, feedback. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wrote my first full-length play, which was about the um, the, the uh, Florentine monk uh, Girolamo Savonarola, um, was a, which a, was a, a long, not very good play, but I had a marvellous time uh, doing it. So I finished my I finished my degree. I wanted to be a playwright then, and um, and then I came from back to London, lived in London for years, and went through a cycle of doing really uh, unskilled but fascinating jobs, uh, which I actually loved. I, I worked in Madame Tussauds, and I kept very still. Um, did you work uh, as a model? What is uh, well, I just you know you were supposed to talk, stop people from touching, but it wasn't very exciting. Um, so you'd keep still, and I actually became very adept. We all did at keeping very still. Um, and then you would wait until someone uh, uh, came came close to you, and you whisper, "Hello," <laughs> uh, and, and they would scream, and that was entertainment. How did you get into writing? How did you get into writing novels? Well, actually, one of the the thing that made me want to 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 start writing novels is that I started putting on plays. And I had plays put on in London, and I had this opportunity to go to Romania and work with one of the national theatres of Romania, which was an amazing experience. Um, and I did this did something similar in Lithuania. It was fantastic. But the trouble with theatre, love it, miss it, um, is that that you need all sorts of other people. You can't yes. do it on your own, and it's an expensive business. Yes. Um, and, you know, if you're writing, I wanted to write plays with, you know, 50 characters, you know, huge sets, and, you know, it was just not going to happen. But obviously, when you when you write a novel, you can have the largest cast, you can have the most fantastic creatures, whatever you want to do, and it won't, the budget is the same. It won't cost you anything. Uh, it's that. just you and the piece of paper, and you can go anywhere. And years before I started writing a novel, I was in Bradford one weekend, and I picked up uh, a novel called The Tin Drum by Gunter Grass, and mm. it just changed everything for me. I think the seeds of everything kind of happened then because I didn't realize that you could do 
that in a novel. Oscar Matzerup, the narrator, is so amazing. And I thought, oh, I want to do something like that. And it was a kind of my moment rather like, you know, everybody, you know, writers have those moments when, when reading something else gives you permission to go somewhere you wouldn't otherwise have gone. And mm. um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez says very f- famously that someone gave him uh, Franz Kafka's meta- Metamorphosis to read. And 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 he went, all right, <laughs> now I get it. So for me, it was reading, it was reading Grass and just falling in love with that novel. And I'd been drawing, I always draw my characters. For years, I've been drawing a character um, who wears white gloves and I had no idea who he was. I was just, you know, doodling and he kept coming out of the pencil. And um, so a friend of mine who was a chef in the Dordogne in, in France said, would I like his house over one summer? And I said, yes, uh, instantly. Yes, please. And, yeah, it was amazing. I would like his house over one summer, please. Thank you. <laughs> and, and so I just, so and, and so that summer I, I sat, and I and I wrote the first draft of my first novel. I'm wondering, um, in terms of your path, was it that novel that got you the request which sent you on your path? Do you want to say a little bit something? We're going to get to your past, but do you want to say a little bit about where you were before the decision happened? I was living in London. Um, I was... Uh, and I, I had a job uh, at Foils, the bookstore. <gasps> I, um, I worked at Foils for years. Did you really? Yes. <laughs> but was uh, was Christina Foils nope. still alive when you worked there? No, nope, it was a different time. It was a different yeah, well, time. Yeah, she, and she was as mad as a hatter and terrifying. Um, and and uh, it was a very problematic place then. It was then, you know, old foils. God knows, new foils is gorgeous. Old foils. It was harder to um, to buy a book uh, um, than than steal one. I always wished, as a as a as, as an employee there, that I had been there to witness the chits. It became sort of part of the marketing package, right? It became how we talked about foils. Was this system? Do you want to explain the chits? It was so crazy. If you wanted to buy a book, you had to fill out this form, the 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 chit, and they they take the book from you, and you take the chit and then you have to go to a certain place to to go and uh, to pay for it and then they stamp your chit and then you have to go back to get the book and finally you're allowed to get the book you know it, it was amazing that anybody actually went inside that bookstore there were so many old books that had you know that had taken up residence in that bookstore you know years and years ago and and lived on the and lived on the shelves and there was something so wonderful about for someone who loves the lives of objects, I think it must have been a it must have been extraordinary. We came in post after all of that, but I have all of my fondest work memories really are from foils. It was such a special place. I can still smell the basement, <laughs> and that's not a pleasant. <laughs> that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. I've written this this novel. I sent it off to agents. Consumer said that after agents first, and uh, and and had no luck, you know, to begin with, and um and and finally one agent said, well, come on, I'll give you. I invited me for coffee and said, well, the book's all right. I, I suppose I'm not going to take you on, but I'll give you a really bad coffee. But then um another agent um uh who who has very good coffee um said um 
oh, I'll take you on. I, I really love this. And um, and then the guy with the bad coffee said, yeah, yeah, can I? I'll take you on. Actually, yes, yes, yes. And I said, no, thank you. I'm going with 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 the with with the agent who was going to do it. Who's still my agent? And. Uh, with the good Screw coffee you, guy, That's the good rude. coffee um, guy one. So she she took it on anyway. She sold she sold the book to Picador. Um, so the novel was shortlisted for this prize called from Barnes and Noble, the American bookseller, called Discover Great New Writers, uh, and I was shortlisted for it. Uh, I didn't win it. I, I, I think I came third out of three, but it was all worthwhile. Um, anyway, so the, the invitation was to go to America, um, to go to New York. I was going to go to America anyway. I was going to go to Boston um, because um, in Boston, I was going to make a piece of sculpture for my second novel. And there was this fantastic sculptor I'd met there called Janos Stone, who was going to give me a, some help with it because I never sculpted and he was going to give me some some advice. So I was going in that direction. I was going to go to Boston, but suddenly Barnes & Noble gave me a free ticket. So off I went to New, New York. Um, and one of the judges... Um, was uh, Elizabeth McCracken, whose work I I had adored for for years. I you know I, I was a huge fan of her work, and she's the one who put my novel forward for for um, for for this for this prize. And um, well, we um, we we, uh, we we had a marvelous time. Met each other, um, and she lived lived then in Boston. And so I was going to be headed that way where she was. Um, and just really conveniently, you happened to be heading to Boston. At the it was very, time. very, very helpful. And, and um, uh, within a couple of weeks, I'd moved in with her. And, oh, uh, and now, that was the best decision I ever made in my life. Thank you, Barnes & Noble. <laughs> Discover, Discover great new spouses is what she probably. It. That's going to be their next new promotion. And so, yeah, so we married. We we have we have two kids. We are, um, you know, we we've both published, you know, many books since then, and um, we have most importantly two two fantastic kids, um, aged thirteen and fourteen. Um, so if if it wasn't for Barnes and Noble, thank you, Barnes and Noble. Thank you again, Barnes and um, Noble. Your grand Barnes and Noble. We're going to do um, intermittent shout outs to Barnes and Noble throughout the course of this. Yeah, so if I hadn't done that, there there would have been no Elizabeth McCracken in, in, in my life, at least not then, anyway. And um, and, and so the, everything then would have been very, very, very different. I can't move forward quite yet because I'm just imagining what dinnertime conversations between Edward Carey and Elizabeth McCracken must be like. And it just must be the most amazing thing. Either that or it's really mundane stuff about, you know. The, di- yeah, the dishes and pretty not very food. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to make sure I understand where we are in time. So it must have been two thousand and one. Two thousand and one. Okay, fine. Yes. All right. Yeah. So it's two thousand and one, and we're going to split your path and go somewhere else. <laughs> All right. So it's two thousand and one, and uh, the judges for the Barnes and Noble Discover New Voices um, promotion are meeting. Um, and Elizabeth comes across a lot, a lot of books and she sees yours and she thinks it's fine, but she moves on. Um, this is the saddest tale this I've is ever so heard. Sad. Maybe, maybe, maybe she just accidentally misses it for whatever reason, for whatever reason, the Barnes and Noble thing doesn't happen. So it's 2001. You're living in London. Um, you've sold your book. You still working at Foils? No, I think I've just finished. 
because of the book or because you've gone on to do something else? Yeah, it's because of the book. I remember when when I uh, when I first was telling my parents that that I that 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 I'm you know got a book going book's going to be published, and they said, "Oh, this is marvelous! You can you can buy a flat." And I thought, "Well, no, actually, <laughs> probably buy a fridge is probably is probably more like it." But 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 yes, I was kind of desperately working working on that. Um, yeah, but then I'd gone back to live in Lithuania. Um, because I had a girlfriend in Lithuania. Ah. Um, um, yeah. So at the at the time in 2001, when you were told about the Barnes and Noble promotion, were you with the girlfriend? No, I think I I think I I think we'd split up. This is terrible. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that that may have happened. I, I, I tend to dither, so I might have gone back, you know, and and you know, made all sorts of you know, hello, it's me again. Um, <laughs> I can't remember quite how it's all fit in, but let's say it's history. Okay. The girlfriend is history. You're in London. Yes. You've sold the book. Yes. You've bought a fridge. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Good fridge. Nice fridge. Really Excellent. nice. Deluxe fridge. Deluxe yeah. fridge. Um, so then you're just living your life in London. So what are you doing for money? I guess I have some money from, from, from the book. I, they keep, they, they're my wonderful agent. Isabel Dixon, and we're still so, we're still upset with bad coffee guy. Also, we'll just remember that we don't like bad yeah, coffee guy. Terrible coffee. Can't tell you how awful it was. <laughs> See, the thing is, I would be going to Boston anyway. So you still have your plans to go to Boston and do the sculpture? Yeah. Say a little bit more yeah. about the sculpture. So the sculpture is um, of uh, the 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 two principal roles in the, in that novel. And the novel is re- really a sort of uh, a hymn to to Vilnius, Lithuania. Um, uh, I love that. I love that city very much. And um, the 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 novel is written as a guidebook to a city that doesn't exist. So I imagined a new a new Vilnius, uh, mm. and it's supposed to be twenty four hours in this city that doesn't exist. So the book is a, written as a guidebook. Um, and it has breaks for lunch and and for for dinner. And you can you know if you go into the restaurant holding the guidebook, you get a twenty percent reduction on your lunch or whatever. Um, so that was uh, the, you know that was the idea. But the the principal characters of of the novel were these identical female twins, mm. and um, and one of these twins um, desperately wanted to travel. Um, and out of uh, out of her city, and the other was was incredibly inhibited and could could barely leave a room, um, uh, and so they were sort of polar opposites. And together, these twins, uh, for various reasons, started to make miniature models of their entire city, um, and they made they made their entire city. So it just became a sort of city in the house. They duplicated. They duplicated the city in in this this city that doesn't exist in their house, and so I was going to I w- went to Boston to make the sculpture. the The city itself in the book, much of it is destroyed by an earthquake, but the the model of the city survives. And in the city, the last photograph is of this sculpture in the city. Um, 
using I stole a church from Vilnius um, and and put it in the backdrop. Um, Must have been heavy. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and and so um, the it, so the they became very famous figures in this imagined city. Um, and so I wanted to build this piece of civic sculpture. And it came from the fact that when I walked around Vilnius, I would see all these sculptures of famous Lithuanians, and I knew nothing about them. Mm. So I would make up histories of who they were I would so and then I would say to my Lithuanian friends so this is this person right and I would give this history and they're what are you talking about you know this is the greatest poet we've ever had <laughs> etc so I made this miniature cityscape uh, with an old castle and cathedral and you know many many buildings opera house you know central post office etc and standing in in the center of the this this model of this city as two enormous giants were the twins. Um, so I needed to sculpt the twins separately and then place them down as giants in this miniature, in the miniature city. And one of the twins is holding her, holding her in her hands, um, the central train station, um, and is standing upright and is looking up. And she, this, this character actually scratched um, the the N for for North with an arrow pointing up on her forehead. So she's looking up, and her twin sister is hunched over, and she has cupped in her hands her tiny home. So that's that's the sculpture I made when I was in Boston. Oh my goodness! Do you have a in photo Austin, of it yeah. on your website? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. People should visit Edward's website because they can see a photo of this. That's amazing. How long are you there doing your sculpture? About a month. You're there for about a month. And while you are there, is it is what's your creative process like? Are you completely engulfed and do you never speak to other humans? Or do you work a little and then socialize a bit? What are you doing while you're sculpting? Yeah, I do. I do. I, um, I do socialize a bit. I'm just trying to think right now. Who do I know in, 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 in Boston without, without uh, Elizabeth? Mm. Really, almost nobody. I did. I did have a, a a friend there through my uh, through my American editor. I became uh, became friends with um, uh, the model for the sculpture. So I had a live model uh, yeah. just uh, you know for me. With a, she had to have a sling because the actually the from the ceiling to support her head. Um, While she was looking the, up, the, the pose was really really quite painful and so I would have socialized with her too and with Jana Stone who's uh, a sculptor who's a, a, a couple of years younger than me that re- those are reasonable a reasonable number of human beings for me to to have contact with does it go okay well it wouldn't be nearly as good no it sure. would be but sure it would have it would have it would have happened okay yeah the sculpting happens the photographs happen of it for the book well, it would be different photographs because the person who f- photographed it um, <laughs> was in Iowa City, and because of the, you know when I got to together with Elizabeth, she was going to the writers' workshop in Iowa to teach, and I was thinking, is there any gig I can do to get me to Iowa City? And so I applied to this thing called the International Writers Program, uh, and so I went to Iowa City to. To, to represent her Britannic Majesty uh, um, in the international writing program, uh, so I would be in Iowa City with uh, with Elizabeth, and then I met this amazing 
photographer, a friend of Elizabeth's called, called Tom Langdon, and he took the photographs that ended up being in the book. So who would have done the photographs? God only knows, not me. I'm a terrible photographer. Okay, we never I don't know. We would have found someone. I bet, you know, Janos Stone knows many artists. I'm sure I'm sure he would have helped me out. Or, you know, I would return home to England with the twins uh, and the sculpture of them cast. They've been cast in plastic resin and... Um, and uh, I would then later the next year, I would be going to America anyway, because I would be on book tour and I would take the sculpture with me. And then I would meet Elizabeth McCracken, but not in a Barnes and Noble. Um, <laughs> you can't meet Elizabeth McCracken yet. One second. <laughs> okay. So you finish up in Boston and you return to London and, and then what? Well, I know what's coming up for me is a, um, is it, already in place is I'd been invited to go to um, Saint-Nazaire in, in France at the, the mouth of the Loire um, to, uh, uh, on a residency, this, this house of uh, foreign writers and translators. It's called Meet the Maison des Écrivains Étrangers et Traducteurs. I would be in France. I'd be in France. I would That's be nice. writing... I would be writing my next novel, which I would not know, but I could whisper in my ear, sorry, mate, this one's going to take you 15 years to finish. Is that um, Little? Little is the one that took that 15 is years. Little. So, yeah, so that, I've been in France. I can give you that much. All right. You're and in- then I'm there to see also the amazing thing to watch the 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 ship, Queen Mary II being built, which I saw, God, extraordinary. And they build it upside down and then flip it over. Bizarre. What? Amazing. How did you witness this? Could anybody um, just it, walk by and just kind of watch? Well, the- yeah, I mean, it took up some of the skyline of the city. It was quite extraordinary. San Jose was destroyed by the by um, the Allies in uh, um, in World War Two because it was a Nazi U uh, uh, boat base. They were commissioning all their writers to come in and see. The ship being built, absolutely amazing. So we got, I got this incredible tour, just seeing everything. Uh, as and they were saying, so we would have you back in San Jose if you wrote a short story about inspired by the by the building of the ship. Does the flavor of San Lazare feel any different to you in this unlived life? Well, it's certainly lacking someone. Um, you know, uh, I've read her because that, that that must be allowed. I'll allow it. So then you come back to London and just so I know, obviously you, you, so you had moved in with Elizabeth in Boston at this point. So, but now you, that's mm-hmm. not happening. So you're still living in London. Where are you living? Notting Hill Gate. Is that because that's where you were living before or because you like Notting Hill Gate? Yeah, well, um, so my um, parents bought a flat in Notting Hill um, because my eldest brother no, no longer with it, so, um, Sorry. Uh, suffered from um, uh, kidney failure, and so he needed to. He would go to dialyze in um, Guy's Hospital right. uh, every other every other day, and so he needed he needed a base, and uh, so we always stayed with with Jamie in London, and and you know, we got on terribly well with him. Of course, we miss him miss him enormously, um, and so I would be there with with my brother. 
you'd be living with your brother in Notting Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And when can I ask when your brother passed away? It must be five, six years ago now. So you got, how do you two get along when you're actually living together? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Fine. Good. I mean, yeah, yeah, fine. Um, but I, I think, I think it, it, I would be getting to the point and I'm sure Jamie would be when it's time to do something else. So it could, you know, before, before I, I met Elizabeth, I worked out that for, for, for eight years, I'd spent at least eight months of every year out of England. Wow. That lived in Romania, Lithuania, you know, France, different places. So it was, it was good. I would probably, uh, Germany, I would probably, I would probably pack a backpack and, and head off into France again or something. Well, let's figure out what the O something is. So you've settled, you've settled in Notting Hill with Jamie. Yeah. That's your base. Is the advance still keeping you taking over in money terms? Or are you doing something else? Yeah, I'm doing little bits of different other things that pay that pay some money, not nearly enough. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, so I'll be working for the for Faulty Optic, this amazing um, puppet company. Um, that was that would be that I would be working with them on puppets. And I, I know also coming round the corner, very close, would be going to um, Malaysia, where I worked with a shadow puppet master. No. I wouldn't. It was oh. gone, stolen from me because Why? I um, because I would not then have met um, the the wonderful Edin Koo, uh, who was representing Malaysia at this thing in I in Iowa City. So I wouldn't have met the shadow puppet master, and I would not have gone to Kuala Lumpur and uh, Kelantan or any travelling around Malaysia. This is terrible, Edward. I feel like you hate me. Doing to me. I'm him. so sorry. <laughs> Also, I wouldn't go to China because that's through the, those contacts as well. I would never see the Forbidden City or, or or the Terracotta Warriors in Xi'an. This is this is this is not good. It's not great. I lived in Xi'an for a year. I do love those warriors. They're amazing. So, um, okay, so you don't go to Malaysia, but you're kind of getting the itch, and you feel like you need to move. You're making enough. So, would you? But would you have? You would have been interested in the puppetry anyways, because that was in London. Yeah, no, I'd work with puppets. What does that and, mean? You work um, with puppets? Did you make them? Or are you? Yeah, I make them. I make every, anything I can. But yes, I made. I, I made puppets. You know, love for Pinocchio enormously is something that I, you know, I adore. And my magnificent editor in Italy, who's who's published all my books, kept inviting me back to Italy. And th and and through her, I got this extraordinary time being a writing residence at a children's hospital just outside Florence. And that was uh, a very moving experience, of course. Um, but that hospital is full of Pinocchios. Speaking to some of the, the the surgeons and specialists there, they talk about actually the journey of Pinocchio from puppet to child is almost a journey from illness back to health again. That's how they think about it when they're... Yeah. So I was deeply inspired by by Pinocchio, and so this would still be allowed to happen. So I wrote about my time in um, in in the in the hospital for Italian newspapers, and then the the uh, Parco di Pinocchio in Collodi in in Tuscany commissioned me to do an, an exhibition of art inspired by Pinocchio, um, uh, which I did. Um, 
and from it came another book which was as i reread the the amazing book of, of pinocchio uh i realized that carlo collodi leaves poor geppetto inside the belly of this it's actually an enormous shark in the in the book for two years and says nothing about him he's geppetto stay there we don't want you right now wait until pinocchio is ready he just parks him he parks him over there for a couple couple years it's fine Hey, you're fine. I'll see you in two years. Um, <laughs> and so I wrote his journal of what it would be like to be inside the belly of the shark for, for two years. And I made the art that I thought Geppetto would make because he's an artist. He makes his own stuff. Mm. Um, his most famous piece of art. And, and I also think of it as actually more of a story connected to, say, Frankenstein than um than Disney would have you believe. It's very dark, very strange, very funny. Pinocchio is not that sweet little boy in a Tyrolean hat that Disney would have you. He's actually a complete delinquent. <gasps> He's outrageous. And, you know, the first night of his life, he gets his father locked up. And they, and then, you know, then, then uh, Pinocchio, not being very bright, is cold and he makes a fire in the um, centre of, of, of Geppetto's house. Geppetto's in prison at this point and, and burns his own feet off. Ah, oh, it's great. He gets hanged in the, in the book uh, and, and, and um, Carlo Collodi was going to leave it there. With Geppetto in the belly of the shark at that point? I'm not sure if he got there. Yeah, yeah no, I think probably. He would have been stuck there forever then, poor chap. Um, yeah, see, maybe maybe this is this is what happens. Perhaps you know, Pinocchio came to your program, and then they just left, <gasps> and they just left, they just left him there. <laughs> uh, then Collodi went back and, and finished the finished the story uh, as we know it, adding more, adding much more Catholic guilt than was there before. Wow, I did not think that's where we were going to go here. So this residency at the Children's Hospital, where are we in time? Now we're like sort of 2002, 2003. No, oh, this was much later. I've, I'm being very unhelpful to you. Maybe I'll end up in Italy. Why not? Let's find out. Well, something good has to come out of it. Now I'm remembering. What I was going to do is that I was going to go to Paris to research this book that took 15 years mm. of my to finish. Um, so I would be in Paris. I'd already started that book. I knew I was going to write it because that book is about Madame Tussauds. And I worked in Madame Tussauds as that incredibly successful, still human being. I love that. Um, that might be my and, favorite bit so far of this whole thing. I love the um, idea of you and, shocking customers in Madame Tussauds. God, extraordinary things people would do. They would go right up to the queen, you know, and, you know, pat her on the cheek, you think <laughs> Extraordinary things people did. And actually, when we were there um, and nobody was hurt, fortunately, the IRA put a bomb oh. in the, in the in Madame Tussauds in in the pocket in the Chamber of Horrors. They put put a bomb in the pocket of either Burke or Hare. Can't remember which one. The um, the Glaswegian body snatchers, and it blew up. And the stench afterwards is to be compared to the, the, the smell of the basements of, of, of foils. That's nice. I'm glad we have something to compare that smell to. <laughs> they never got rid of the, that, that smell for the long time that I was working at, at Madame Tussauds. The smell was like the combination of the bomb and the wax? Yeah, bomb, wax, hair, you know, all sorts of things. It was closed for a while, the, the Chamber of Horrors. I mean, I have to say, standing in the Chamber of Horrors, you know, all day long, is an experience. Well, it's clearly been a formative one. 
What a kind of standing next to Mara. Jean-Paul Mara murdered in in his bath. Ah, mm. good heavens, by Charlotte Corday during the French Revolution. Yeah, so yes. I would have gone okay. to I would have gone to Paris to okay. research this book. Where do you stay in Paris? I would have found a flat. I mean, of course, it wouldn't have been nearly so nice as the flat I I found with um with Elizabeth. And the thing with the thing, one of the great, one of the many, many great things about Elizabeth is she's fantastic at, at finding amazing places to to uh, stay. That's such a good skill. I love that skill. I do not have that skill. So I would have found some awful hovel, uh, not really nice place that we got. Um, and the place that she got was wonderful because it was basically the, um, it was on the, the it was the, the, the street where, where Madame Tussaud um, would have probably lived. It was pretty much exactly there. But then it was, then Baron Hausman came, of course, and re, rejigged Paris and many of the older streets um, went. So I'd be in Paris. I'm, I'm, I'm researching a book in Paris, which means I'm really not working, but I'm pretending I'm working very, very hard. <laughs> but I'm actually having a really good time because because it's Paris and there I am. See, I've got myself to Paris. That's not too See, bad. See, life is good now. What are you doing that's so much fun when you're not researching? Well, I've got pals in Paris, and I, um, uh, I'm sure I would meet. I would sure I would meet more people. I've got English and French friends who live there. I would be in the Musée du Carnaval. I would be in the National Archives. I would, you know, I would be having, I would be having a lot of time. I would be thinking, well, it's probably time for for a break and a glass of wine now. I should think. <laughs> um, I would bo- get very bogged down in the in the research. Um, yeah. Okay bogged down in a sort of good way and that you get sort of absorbed by it or, or bad bogged down real bad bogged down then i would go back and uh, and one of the great things about madame Tussauds is, is she she dramatized her life enormously um of course she was a brilliant businesswoman and uh she would make up facts about her life to make it seem even more interesting <gasps> than it was um like what uh, do you know Oh yeah, all sorts of things. Like she said, she she lived and worked in in Versailles and been uh, and had been selected to work in Versailles by Louis the Sixteenth um, sister, a different, another Elizabeth. You see, there's got to be more Elizabeth, Elizabeths in this. Madame Tussaud said the amazing thing is is that that that. Um, that, that uh, Princess Elizabeth and and myself and Madame Tussaud were almost identical, like identical twins. She said, "Oh God, you do tell the most extraordinary porky pies." <laughs> and that the moment you see, I remember the moment of actually seeing a portrait of Madame Elizabeth, and I must have made a a big noise. I must have gasped because they were identical. No. Um, so I would be going around Versailles a lot, which is an awful place. I hate it. It's wonderfully awful. You hate it Versailles? Me of, yes, I think it's ugly. I think it's a, it's a monster. I, th- I can't stop thinking of how many people died in the construction of that building. And mm. it's actually a big, it's a fascist palace. I mean, horrific. And also that idea of you move the government to away from Paris to Versailles, that then you have complete control over them. Well, as opposed to being in the center where they can actually affect you. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you no, know, it took me so I sent out the first draft of it. This is gonna it's gonna get catastrophic. Um because I, I, I thought I was there with it. And I lost the way totally. It took a couple of years and, and it was dreadful. And I, I I you know, 
The other thing I would do, and because it's not via, of course, I would do, uh, did it with Elizabeth, but I, but I would go to, this time I would go to um, Ireland uh, and stay with friends um, near Kilkenny, and there I would sculpt um, the, the a wooden woman of uh, a foot of five foot five foot wooden figure of fully with fully um, articulated with moving arms and head with glass eyes the glass eyes I got with Elizabeth in Prague so they can't have to be different glass eyes um, and so I made this wooden woman the this wooden doll is is in the in the Madame Tussaud book and it's of the wooden doll is of. Madame Tussaud, and uh, so I would still do that, uh, and then I uh, um, would do this thing and think the novel w- was finished, and I would send it out, and um, it would get rejected. Mm. Um, it got rejected everywhere except for Elisabetta Scarvi in Italy, who bought it because she's she's always been enormously supportive and so I was in a situation with or without Elizabeth when, when I was actually in a really bad place in, in 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 my writing I think you know in many creative people's lives you have those moments when things go awry and it's not you know a, a, a nice sweet curve that you would always want it to be so I asked myself what and these were these were tricky times I wasn't particularly happy um with 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 the work, I was in a very happy marriage elsewhere. Uh, with uh, we'd lost one child, unfortunately. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, the second one, our, our son was was on the way. Um, but um, but in terms of in terms of writing, I didn't know I didn't know what to do, and I actually asked myself, well, you know, what made me want to write in the first place? You know, what was what was that love of writing? And I actually went back to children's books and I remembered that passion that I had as a ch- child and as a writer and I remember a, a book that I was we had to read at school and the book was The Weird Stone of Brisingerman by Alan Garner and that book means the absolute world to me it was that first time that I felt such a passionate connection with a book you know other books would follow very shortly afterwards like Warship Down and 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 things like that but mm. but this book was the first and it had a sort of magic thing and I said right I'm going to write a children's book trilogy and that is what saved my writing bacon I think you're right as you say creative every creative person knows that time like that that dip where it's just it's just not happening it's just not working and I think when you're on the other side of it you can see that it was necessary in some ways or those fallow periods are sort of part and parcel of the process, but they're hideously painful. Um, But what (laughs) what I'm wondering is in this unlived life, you know, you've been bopping around and you've been, um, you've been traveling and you've been, you know, based in Notting Hill and you've been living with your brother and um, presumably you hit, as you say, you hit the same, snag where nobody wants where you know your your novel gets rejected everywhere but what you don't have is you don't have elizabeth you're on your own do you think that you react the same way like do you think that you deal with that fallow period or that rejection period in the same way well i'd have to get a job okay i i I had a job that that um uh i was uh offered having been 
in um, Iowa City for the International Writers Program, I was then offered work to teach at the Writers Workshop in Iowa. In Iowa, so that's that's how I, you know, uh, we both taught there, um, Elizabeth and I, for you know, on and off for many years. So we would spend half a year teaching and then half the year um, pretending to write in Paris. It sounds very good. I'm really sorry that I've taken you away from this. It all sounds yeah, really nice. Thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> I would have, uh, I would have to get you know some sort some sort of a job. I'm, I've no idea what that would be. I would, uh, and it would take me a while probably to realize that I need to write this trilogy. But who could say I would have written the same trilogy? Uh, well, there's, I mean, there's a few things in there, but uh, just so I know that the trilogy. When you did end up writing it, had you already had your first child? And also you mentioned that you lost a child. Yes. You had. Yeah. So in this scenario, so you'd had this sort of confrontation both with parenthood. And I don't know if you want to say anything more about the loss of your child. We were living in the, the French countryside then. Um, and uh, uh, he was uh, stillborn. Um, our child in in in, in Bordeaux, and uh, and then we left France shortly, or, or almost instantly afterwards. And uh, mm-hmm. we were in England for a little bit, um, and then we, then Elizabeth got a job in Saratoga Springs teaching at Skidmore, and so that was that was where life went. And then from uh, after that, we went back to Iowa and taught there. Okay, all right. I'm just thinking so. Uh, you have this fallow period, but in your in your real life, children were in it in one yes. way or another, um, and yeah. so that must have in some way influenced your desire to you know to pull yourself out of it by writing children's books. Yeah, so I, yeah, I would have I would have got there in the end. I don't know what job I would have found, but you know, I always found those. I did. It, uh, you know, chances are I may have met someone else, uh, and her name was Elizabeth McCracken, and they all lived happily. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that yet. So yeah, let's figure it out. So let's just get a couple of decisions. So you've you're in a fallow period. You a need a job, and b mm-hmm. that is another question: is do you think that you've met another partner? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Do we have any thoughts about it? Would, I, it would. It would be. For our listeners, Edward's face right now is really unhappy looking because he doesn't want to think about anybody other than Elizabeth. Who is she? Where uh, do you yeah, find her? Because, yeah, someone else would appear. Um, she's short. She's American. She's cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't know anything about, about this person. All right. Who, who is she? What the hell is she doing? She probably works for Barnes & Noble. <laughs> she works for Barnes & Noble and she makes really bad coffee. Right there we go. Perfect. That's her. There you go. Well, okay. Wait. Let's go at this the other way then. What What do you think you do for work? I think I would have to try and find some job. Try and get a job in some museum somewhere. Okay. I don't know. Where would I like to work? Am I allowed to do that? Where would I like to work? Of course, you're allowed. This is the whole okay. game. Okay. Good. All right. I, I've I've given myself a very nice job at the Sir John Soane Museum. What are you doing there? What's your nice job? Oh, I don't know. I just like it. Um, <laughs> Why do you like it? What's good about it? No, actually, I'm no. Scrap that. I'm taking that job away. Okay. I'm going to give myself a job at the Foundling Hospital Museum. Okay. So what's your job there? You're a, Are you um, t- doing tours? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. I can, do tours. I can tours. do tours. You're doing tours. 
fine. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think it would work because this is this is going to be the thing that gets me to write the kids' trilogy because in many ways actually visiting that um, museum was, uh, was uh, it, one of the inspirations behind it because when the child was left um, by invariably the mother, they would live a, leave a, a token behind, an, an, an object, um, mm. uh, the, the single proof of, of the mother's existence. And the child never got those objects, but those objects are in the exhibition and they are so incredibly moving. Um, and there's something very similar in, uh, the, in, in, in Florence at the Foundling um, Hospital Museum there, where they would actually, they would take the objects left by the mother and they would guillotine them. Oh. And half would stay with the child at the, at the orphanage and the other half would remain with the, with the parent. And the hope was <gasps> one day these objects would come together again. Um, anyway, so moving. Um, but so in the, so I would write my... I would write my kids' trilogy there because it it, it is set in a Victoria it's set in Victorian London, um, a version of Victorian London where all the rubbish of London is in one enormous heap that's so large that it's tidal, um, oh. and in the centre of of this huge rubbish heap is this enormous mansion mansion called Heap House, which is where the first novel is, uh, the first novel in the trilogy is set. And the principal, one of the principal characters is this small, small um, child who can hear objects talking. Um, and um, and uh, what he hears the objects saying are names. They're always saying names, uh, and you'll you discover why as um, as the trilogy goes on. So there we go. I've written it. I'm writing it. I'm back on the track. Amazing, creative Great. creative fallow <laughs> period is over. You write the thing. You write the trilogy, not the thing. Excuse me, <laughs> the very important trilogy. Do you meet this really underwhelming partner of yours at the Foundling Foundling Museum? Is that where you guys meet? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to lead you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 meet over orphans. Yeah, she's I, yeah. She's I also interested yeah. in orphans. Yeah, I mean, she sounds nice. I've got nothing against her except I've got everything against her. Okay, so there's a perfectly fine person in your life. Yeah, you've 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 emerged triumphant artistically, creatively. Do you stay at the Foundling Museum? And are you still? What's happening with living in Notting Hill? With your brother? Well, I think Jamie would have died. Um, so uh, I think I think we would have uh, the the I, we I would probably have found a flat with with uh, with a with a weak coffee Barnes and Noble woman from the orphanage. Maybe maybe we're finding London too expensive. We moved to say the Kent coast that we live in Folkestone now. You live in um, Folkestone. My ex-husband was was obsessed with Folkestone and like every single oh, really? every single conversation, you know, the kind of classic Londoner conversation where you're constantly thinking you should leave London. Um, it was always right, about. I mean, yeah, you're in London, right? I, now. Am, I am in London now. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I adore London, but it's uh, it's 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 hard to keep it up. It's 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 tricky. It is tricky. It is tricky. And it, but I do. I feel like we would all have more energy for living in London if we would all just stop talking about whether or not we should live in London. And one day in Folkestone, yeah, while <laughs> while looking at while looking for fossils, uh, uh, 
there's this short American uh, who <laughs> happens to be there. Do you want to bring Elizabeth back into your past? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. She likes funiculars, so she'd definitely come to Folkestone. Uh, does, what's a funicular? It's it's a Sorry. it's a sort of it's a it's a little it's a little um it's like a it's a, like a lift that goes up. Oh, those steep things. Hill. Yeah. Okay, you're allowed to bring Elizabeth back, but I I want two more strands from you before you're allowed, if that's okay. Well, okay. I want two things. I mean, one is, I'm just thinking about we've you're saying we've gotten to the point where your brother Jamie would have died, and I guess I'm just thinking a little bit about the fact that in your lived life, um, you weren't you didn't live as close to him, um, mm. uh, whereas what we haven't really talked about is just in this unlived life, you have quite a lot more time with him, presumably. I think I'm, I, I think, I think we, we, every now and again, we might've got a bit bored of each other, frankly. And mm. I think it's quite possible. I might've uh, taken up with the, with the, uh, with the orphan. Yeah. Well, she's not an orphan. Uh, she's... No, right. I mean, she might be an orphan. We don't know. <laughs> if might she's be. That might have been one. She's, I mean, she's bless. I have nothing against her. <laughs> Except, except her, her, her love of Barnes and Noble and her weak coffee. And one day there's a terrible funicular accident and, and that's the end of her. Oh, no, this is awful. The woman whose name I don't know. Can we give, do we just, want to give her a name? Maybe we don't. Maybe it's like when you no, name no, the pet no. that dies. Poor, poor, poor. Yeah, she, she, she has no name. And I kept telling her, don't get on the funicular. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't get on the funicular. And she did. And that was it. I have a feeling I'll get over this heartbreak, you know. Yeah. It was. Yeah. What was the marriage like? Was the marriage a sort of functional one or sort of? Yeah, it functioned a bit like a funicular. <laughs> Ew, Edward. And then it broke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're walking on the beach in Folkestone. I feel like yeah. I'm letting you get off too easily, but that's fine. We're going to just, you're going to go ahead. I, so you're you're in Folkestone. You live there. You're sad. And you're, you've, but you've Finishing. done your trilogy. So you're done writing. Done trilogy. And that means I've finished the trilogy. And then uh, I... As I'm finishing it off, doing the edits, I think it's time to look at my old manuscript about Madame Tussaud. And of course, one of the best things that you can do with your writing is put it aside. Yes. And then you'll know it. You need to look at your writing with a stranger's eyes. So I read it and I instantly knew how to fix it. And um, I uh, I uh, would go back and rework it fairly quickly and... and um, it would find a publisher in England and then it would go to auction in America. And now it's been sold to, I don't know, 22 different countries. Okay. So you're on your own in Folkestone. Are you, um, I'm just thinking a bit about, about what we started our conversation with in this question of um, wanting to return back to London and missing, missing home. And also obviously being horrified by all things American politics, but um, you know, we've, we've lived your life up until pretty, you know, in, in the UK and are you, you happy in Folkestone? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working. I think it's, I think it's okay. Um, but because of the funicular, uh, I think, um, a certain short American comes to, uh, to, to Folkestone. Okay. Why does she, why does a certain short American come to Folkestone? We're going here now. It's happening. 
Okay, great. Um, well, you know, uh, great fossils uh, around around that coast, but also she adores uh, seaside towns. She does love funiculars. Um, but there she is. Um, Where do you meet her? So there's somewhere there at a, at a, at a bookstore, I imagine. There's yeah. no Barnes and Noble in the United <laughs> Kingdom, so it's safe. Waterstones. Okay. Have one of those. There's probably a Waterstones in, in Folkestone. Yeah. Maybe I did the, um, maybe I do some of the uh, events for uh, Waterstones Folkestone so that, that I interview authors. Ah. Does that sound credible? That sounds totally credible. Yeah, you needed a job. So there we are to go alongside everything. Um, okay. So you interview Elizabeth, you guys get chatting. Is it is yep. it as instantaneous as? Well, I wonder if she's, if her life's done the same thing. Well, well, if, now, now I'm not allowing, I mean, maybe she's got married. Maybe she has kids with someone else. I don't know. But, but let's say she didn't, if she didn't need to have a permanent job, she wouldn't have taken one. She would earn from her writing and teach every now and again in, in, in Iowa City, probably. So then, what happens? So you get does she? But you guys fall in love in Folkestone. So what do you do? Well, I think. Well, let's think. Do we want to stay in Folkestone or should we go to? I we we'll probably we we'll probably keep keep both places. Do a bit of both. Okay, a little bit of back and forth. Yeah. Delightful. That sounds good. That sounds yeah. good. Okay. Yeah. So we're back in it. It's all going well. This is delightful. Then we have two children, and they're exactly the same as the ones one we have now. Except they're younger. I'm a terrible guide. I've completely lost track of where we are in time, but I feel like we're roughly sort of, I don't know, 2010 or something. I mean, it's not... But you can't go back and forth with kids. You have to land somewhere. No, they need, they need, uh, they, they need stability. They need, job. they need, you know, we need to get a proper proper job. Okay. Uh, yes. Where do you park? So, so I think we get teaching jobs somewhere. Where do you think you end up? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we'd go stick with the East Coast. Maybe there's something, maybe there's something, something there um, uh, in Massachusetts. Massachusetts maybe. sounds good. But should we just yeah. say, should we want to say Cambridge? Do you feel like Cambridge? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't love Cambridge. I love, you know, I love so much of Massachusetts. In an ideal world, we'd, we'd plonk ourselves very happily in Provincetown. Um, but I don't think there's great schools um, mm. in, in, in Provincetown. Okay. So maybe we stay in Cambridge. Stay in Cambridge yeah. for the schools. And then along comes the pandemic. <laughs> well, first along comes Trump. And you guys are in Massachusetts and you're not in Texas. Well, we may think actually we'll take them out. And um, we'll move back to Folkestone, which, and uh, and we'll have them educated in England. That's true because they're younger, so you can do that in a way that you probably couldn't, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Okay, so the kids are back in Folkestone. You weather yep. the Trump years here, right? And then the pandemic hits. Yep. And so there we are, uh, starting just just the four of us, as we were. And uh, and I get drawing. I mean, you can't do nothing; you'll go mad. I agree. Got to do something. Whenever I'm, if I if I'm not doing something, if I'm not if I if I'm not drawing or writing, I become rather rather bad company. So I need to I need to have something to be doing. Do you like like everybody? Um, so I would be drawing. Yeah. If you get when you get grumpy, does Elizabeth just hand you a pencil and tell you to go away until you've drawn something? She might point out that that. Uh, <laughs> 
it might be time to do something. (laughs) Then here we are. Then then we're here and you finish all of your drawings and you're living happily in Folkestone by the sea. Um, And you turn 52 and you live in the UK. And that's privacy. There you go. And I've just finished a novel set in Norwich. Okay. And uh, it's all it's all going to be it's all good. It's yeah. all going to be good. And this one, this one, I'm sure, will do just as well as all of the previous ones, and it will be very nice. And they'll sell it in Bar- <gasps> they'll sell it in Barnes and Noble, and they'll invite you over for a discover. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't go. I'll refuse. You'll refuse that because. Screw them for rejecting you all those years ago. It made it take so much longer for you to get to Elizabeth McCracken. <laughs> Barnes and Noble, we love you. We think you're doing great work. Well, we got there. I think there, there we go. I think that, that I think that was excellent. I apologize for the for 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 the for the nameless, faceless lady uh, in the funicular. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you so much, Miriam. This was great. Thank you. Early on in our conversation, Edward and I talked about how ready he was to come back to the UK, that he'd had a full life in America, but it was time to return. It was a note of discontent, but listening back to our discussion, I began to think of it less as an unlived life and more as an extended love letter to all that is wonderful in Edward's real life, to his wife, who I think it's safe to say he did not want to be without, but also to creativity and its many manifestations, to travel, to history, and ultimately to home. With a few notable exceptions, the main one being that he ended up back on British soil, Edward's unlived life followed the path of his real life, which he clearly loves. I'm glad though that in his unlived life, we managed to get him back home to England. It remains to be seen whether in this case, it will be his real life which follows suit. 